Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fake TV Critic, a podcast where I discuss the week's biggest TV news headlines, recap and analyze some of my favorite shows, and let you know what you should be watching. I'm experimenting this week with just recording all the way through, which I never do. Usually I record in pieces, like as I'm watching things, I'll go on and I'll talk for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, and then I'll save it and then like assemble later on in the week. But um, I haven't been around to do that this week. Um, Since the pandemic has quote unquote ended and everything has reopened, um, I haven't really been watching a whole lot of TV right now. Um, There's a lot of stuff that I've been wanting to binge and I've been trying to do that and I have been doing that in some cases. So I'm like falling behind on the weekly stuff and the stuff that I think a lot of you who I've at least talked to IRL (laughs) actually watch, I'm like behind on. Um, So... I'm gonna try to just like bang out one whole episode right now as I'm sitting here at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. So we'll see how this goes. Also, I'm gonna start experimenting in the next few weeks. Give me your feedback. I highly encourage and welcome it um, with like maybe eliminating the news portion because like I'm not paying much attention anymore because again, I'm busy. Not a whole lot's been happening. And then also, I feel like that's the part of the episode that most people don't really give much of a shit about. So if you're fine with that, let me know. If you really want to keep it, let me know. Um, I'm on Instagram now, and I am also on Twitter. You can find the blog in the show notes, um, at Fake TV Critic on Twitter and Instagram. Follow, you know, let me know what the hell is going on. Um, And also, what what do you want to hear? Uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of people that listen to this, which is fine. I started this for myself because I like to talk about TV and especially TV that, you know, no one in my immediate circle was watching. I wanted to talk about it. So I started talking at my computer, which then gets to you all. Um, but like, what kind of things do you want to hear that will make the, that will make you happy and will make you keep tuning in? Cause I've noticed that, uh, not nearly as many of you are. <laughs> uh, yeah, so let me know that too. At Fake TV Critic, Twitter, Instagram, blog, whatever, you know. We're learning and growing together in the year 2022 of our Lord. So there are a couple of news things. Uh, right now, this weekend, is BravoCon, which, if you do not know, is a Bravo convention that is happening in New York City this weekend. And it's, it's uh, all of the Bravo universe converges on the Javits Center and there's like panel, it's, it's a convention, you know, there's like panels and there's live tapings of Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen and uh, booths and signings and photos and blah, blah, blah. And uh, a lot of people on, uh, on Bravo Twitter and Reddit were speculating that we'd finally get some big announcements this weekend because we've been waiting for like, Real Housewives of New York has been off the air for well over a year. And I mentioned on the podcast when this announcement was made that uh, Andy Cohen said they're doing two versions now. They're going to completely reboot Real Housewives of New York. And they're also going to do Real Housewives of New York Legacy, which is like, you know, inviting some of the former housewives back. We've gotten no forward momentum on either of those things. And um, Housewives is kind of having like another cultural moment right now between Jen Shaw pleading guilty on Salt Lake City and uh, that season just started airing and 
Teresa was just on Dancing with the Stars. So that's kind of... Um, it, uh, Jersey has been kind of on the tip of everyone's tongue lately as well. And the Beverly Hills situation with Erica and now with Kathy Hilton and Lisa Rinna. And, like, the Lisa Rinna Eminem meme has, like, gone crazy on the internet. So Housewives is kind of having a moment. So it seems like it's the right time to, you know, relaunch Real Housewives of New York. And they're... So it's Sunday morning, like I said, and they still have not announced anything regarding Housewives. Most of what I've seen coming out of BravoCon has just been, like, crazy middle-aged, mostly white women who are, like, angrily tweeting. Um, I tweeted this over the weekend. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, that the real dark web is not the place where you, like, buy weapons and illegal drugs and organs. It's Housewives Twitter. That shit is dark beyond belief. It is dark-sided. And I... It's gotten worse this weekend over BravoCon because, like, a lot of people who have these very strong opinions of these women and their fights, and, like, I do, but it's all within the context of the show. Like, I don't give a shit what these people are like in real life. I don't know them, you know? Um, but, like, the hate that people have for people on the TV show has kind of, like, carried over into real life, and that's happened a lot with BravoCon where, like, um, there are these panels with, let's say, The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills cast, and people are either Team Lisa Rinna or Team Kathy Hilton based on the fights that have been going on. And everyone kind of, like, can quantifiably uh, justify the side that they're on, if you know what I mean, where, like, because they're in a room full of thousands of people who feel similarly to them, that they feel more justified in feeling the way that they do and being angry and loud about it on social media now. So, like... There was a bum rush for the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills panel, and apparently a bunch of people were mad, but, like, that's what a convention is. And at the actual panel, Lisa Rinna got booed, so she gave the audience the finger. And then all these people who, like, are not understanding that they're creating television and they're creating headlines with this are just on their, like basically calling for Lisa Rinna's head and saying, well, Kathy got much more applause, so clearly we're right. Like, we are in the right. And just because a lot of people feel the way that you do doesn't mean you're right. Hello, 2016 election. So there's that. Uh, and the only real news that I that so far has come out of BravoCon is that they renewed the Below Decks for new seasons. <laughs> All the Below Decks are coming back. Uh, Below Deck Med is about to finish up its season. It's going to come back next year. And then once it ends in November, uh, the, the original Below Deck is coming back. Uh, Frazier from last season, who was the second stew, was going to be chief stew. That's fun. Rachel, the chef, is back. Captain Lee is back. And then they also renewed Below Deck Sailing Yacht, which I'm sure will be back after the regular Below Deck ends. And then Peacock renewed Below Deck Under, which was actually Below Deck Down Under, which actually was my favorite um, of all of the Below Decks this particular season. So that's all that's really come out of BravoCon news-wise, which is kind of annoying for me as like a Bravo watcher like i don't give a flying fuck about all these clips of like the girls fighting like it's jerry springer on these panels i don't care like as funny as it may be to people who are attending i don't give a fuck that kathy hilton stopped her meet and greet line to eat a new york hot dog i don't care that's stupid like <laughs> i'm glad that you all are having fun um i wish that i was there i'm not gonna lie i was supposed to go um or we had planned to go and uh, andy and i had talked about this after the last one that we were like going to go and then you know pandemic, work, life, blah, blah, blah. We didn't go. 
do I wish that I was there? Kind of. Am I also happy based on the fact that, like, it's basically going to, like I said, watch a taping of Maury or Jerry Springer? I'm kind of glad I'm at home. And I didn't spend, like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars uh, getting there to just not learn anything, really. So that's that. And then the other news thing that happened this week that I'm very sad about is that uh, Angela Lansbury passed away at the age of 96. Um, like Betty White, Angela Lansbury was one of those people that I kind of just assumed would live forever. Um, I I have a, um, a very nostalgic and deep emotional connection to Angela Lansbury because Murder, She Wrote was my late grandmother's favorite TV show. And she watched it constantly when I was a kid. I spent a lot of time with her when I was young. She died when I, uh, a couple days after my eighth birthday. And most of my memories of my grandmother are of a couple of things where like it was just the two of us and we would make jello <laughs> and I would eat SpaghettiOs out of the can <laughs> and I would sit directly in front of the TV and we would each get to pick a show to watch and I would pick Inspector Gadget and she would pick Murder, She Wrote and we would just watch TV together and she would eat her, <laughs> her uh I guess it was Ensure, her like Ensure butterscotch pudding, and I would eat SpaghettiOs and Jell-O, and we would watch TV, and it was, I never, when I, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't understand what the hell Murder, She Wrote was, um, but I just know that like Angela Lansbury's face always made me laugh, and she made my grandmother laugh, and, um, and it was, it, it was, it was the kind of show that my grandmother, uh, that not only that she in that that really made her happy, and that's all that mattered when I was a kid was that Angela Lansbury made my grandmother happy. And you know, like of course, like everyone else who is especially a millennial, <laughs> um, I have the very personal connection and nostalgic connection to Angela Lansbury as Mrs. Potts in Singing Beauty and the Beast, which is. Danny Pellegrino said this on his podcast. I never thought of it this way, but it's a hundred percent true. Uh, Andrew Lansbury singing Beauty and the Beast, the title song, is one of the greatest vocal performances of all time. It is one of the most iconic, recognizable vocal performances of all time. And Bedknobs and Broomsticks I used to watch when I was a kid, too, as cheesy as it is now to look back on. And then, you know, as I got older and uh, started doing theater and loving her on the recording of Sweeney Todd and how freaking brilliant she is on that album as well and I got to see her on stage in Blythe Spirit on Broadway which I think might have been her final Broadway performance and I'm so thankful for that she she was one of a kind and she was amazing and I'm, I'm so glad that she lived I, I'm happy for the long life that she that she had um and I and I'm grateful for the memories that she gave to both me and to uh, my grandmother. And the, and it's also important to note that she was a woman of a certain age when Murder, She Wrote was on the air and kind of paved the way in a lot of ways for shows that were about older women. Um, down to, like, I was just talking about BravoCon, to shows like The Real Housewives were following women who are of a certain age and, you know, no longer deemed attractive or hot or sexy or interesting by many people in Hollywood and on TV and in film. 
And I think she really was a trailblazer in that way with murder. She wrote that she kind of, uh, she kind of um, flipped the notion of, of how we thought of women in their 40s and 50s as disposable. And her character, Jessica Fletcher, was very much not. So thank you also for that, Angela Lansbury. Okay, let's, I'm just going to kind of do, uh, this is what I've been watching and what I've actually, like what I can talk about this week. I'm going to talk about Dancing with the Stars because I'm watching that kind of for the first time ever, The Masked Singer and The Mole, which is back on Netflix. So let's start with Dancing with the Stars. And the reason I'm watching this season is because the cast is, to me, very interesting and I almost never enjoy, <laughs> or not enjoy, I almost never care about who they cast on Dancing with the Stars. It's always, you know, it's like, okay, here's the person who was just on either The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. Here is a real housewife. Here is a washed up singer, songwriter. Here is an old person from TV. Here is a person that you've never heard of, but like, you know, their face is like, oh, you're that, that person from that thing. Um, you know, here is a Disney Channel star, and they're kind of doing that same thing, but it's, I don't know, who they decided to cast this year again was very interesting to me. So there is a Bachelorette, I do not know her name, I think it's Gabby, is her name Gabby? I'm gonna try and look it up as I'm talking. Um, there is Jason Lewis, or there was Jason Lewis, who was from Sex and the City, Teresa from The Real Houses of Jersey, I said, um, Cheryl Ladd from Charlie's Angels, Selma Blair, who I love, uh, Wayne Brady, who else is on this thing? Okay, here's the cast. Um, so Gabby is The Bachelorette, Jordan Sparks is on it, Shangela from Drag Race, which is reason, top reason I am watching this, Vinny from Jersey Shore, uh, Trevor Donovan, who is in a bunch of Hallmark movies, Jesse James Decker, who's a country singer, uh, Daniel Durant from Switched Up Birth and Coda, who's a deaf actor, Wayne Brady, um, Joseph Baena, who I just learned through the show is the son of Arnold Schwarzenegger, the one that he had with the maid that we found out about while he was the governor, and who else? Sam Champion from GMA, and is that it? Oh, and Charlie and Heidi D'Amelio from... I don't know they have like, I guess she's on Charlie is a TikTok star or something and now they have a Hulu show so like that's their version of the Disney Channel stars this year is so this is on Disney plus now rather than ABC and I never really watched the show like I would jump in here and there I watched a few episodes when Neve from Catfish was on to just like laugh at him and he ended up being fucking amazing and he should have won that season uh but like it's not my thing I don't like ballroom dancing to begin with I don't like doing it I don't like watching it I don't like that they purposefully throw people who have no dancing talent whatsoever onto a show and have them do difficult things like ballroom dancing. Um, it's not entertaining for me to watch people dance poorly. I also usually do not like um, the cast members in general. It's very much like it's dancing with the stars. You could put stars in quotes a lot of times. Uh, yeah, and it, it's it's very whatever to me. The, the professionals that are on it are very talented. I hate the judges. They're so annoying. I don't like any of the hosts. I never have. I know people are very upset that Tyra Banks is the host now versus Tom Bergeron, but I didn't like Tom Bergeron either. I thought he was annoying. Erin Andrews, I never liked either. Now she's been replaced by Alf, Al, Alonzo. 
Alonso, is that his, oh my god, why am I blanking Alfonso or Alonso Ribeiro? Carlton from the Fresh Prince. What the, why am I having a brain fart about his name? Um, but, like I said, Teresa Judice, Shangela, Wayne Brady, Selma Blair, I'm there. I'm watching. Okay? And it's a really frustrating watch on Disney Plus because it's two hours long, but there's no commercials. So it's two straight hours and it is, it's it's a fucking marathon. It's, so like Tyra will talk a lot. And I know people don't like when Tyra talks. Again, I don't really particularly care. A lot, oh my God, I should just look up what the fuck his name is I'm talking. Um, that's boring to me. And then like they have the professionals come in. It's Alfonso Ribeiro. God damn. Okay. Alfonso will interview people. Uh, as they're waiting for their scores, we get a lot more from the judges. They like have the professionals come down and do dances in between numbers. And Derek Huff is doing like histories of what the styles are, what they look for, which that's very helpful, honestly. I would like more of things like that. Longer clip packages before they're dancing. It's just, it's, it's eternal. It is eternal. So I will watch, like I put it on on Mondays and I'll like read or grade papers or like you know look at my phone or whatever while it's on and I'll just watch the dances because I mean that's why we're here right like why they decided this needed to be two hours long when we just want more of the actual dance whatever anyway uh I don't like this show still I really don't but I'm watching it again because I like these people and honestly Shangela should be winning the whole thing. And the fact that she's not speaks to the homophobia on this show, all, like on the judging panel, on in the viewing audience, with the voting. Like, Shangela is murdering this show. And you might know from past episodes, I'm not even the biggest Shangela fan. I, I like her. I think she's fine. But, like, of all the people on Drag Race, like, she's probably not even... She's definitely not even in my top 10 of favorite Drag Race queens. Maybe top 20? Like, again, I like her, but I don't know. I think she's overexposed and whatever. Like, she's just... She's she's never been my favorite, but I, she's entertaining. But mostly I wanted to see how this would work on Dancing with the Stars. Because I know some of the episodes I've jumped into in the past have been very homophobic toward openly gay or queer contestants. I'm thinking specifically of like Carson Kressley when he was on the show. And like we all, Carson Kressley is the gayest man alive. He could not hide his flamboyance. He could not tone it down. And he did not last very long because of it. Because it's it's sad, but like that's what a lot of ballroom dancing is, is that it's like, it's very, the men are expected to be masculine and strong. And Carson was too, you know, limp in a lot of ways to like have a strong frame and stuff. Um, and then last year, Jojo Siwa for sure should have won that season. She did not. And she was the first person on the or contestant to dance with an, with a, a same sex partner. So I think that's interesting. And to like, to see how America in general would accept a dancer like Shangela, where she's in drag and, but is dancing with man. So, like, she's presenting female, but is male. So, does that, like, make up, quote-unquote, for in some of the voting audience's eyes? But regardless of all that, she's fucking killing the show. She's doing so well. She is by far the most entertaining dancer on the show. She has by far the most energy, 
this past week was Disney Plus week, and her friend Jennifer Lewis, who she used to live with, came on the show and sang her song from The Princess and the Frog live, which, like, never would have happened if it was anyone but Shangela. Like, Jennifer Lewis clearly did it because Shangela was dancing to it, and they're so close. It, it's just, it's, she's been fucking phenomenal, which makes up for the fact that, like, there have been some really questionable eliminations so far, and some questionable judging. Like, there, pe- Vinny should not still be on the show. He somehow is. Trevor Donovan should not be on the show. He somehow still is. Um, and people, like, Teresa Judice went home, I think it was week two, and she was not the worst. So, I don't know. I feel like they're taking... I, they say that it's, like, 50-50 voting and judges. I feel like that can't possibly be the case. But regardless... I've been watching it for Shangela, and for that, I haven't been disappointed. Uh, But I've also, along the line, fallen completely in love with Daniel Durant. I, he, like, I feel like I'm a 12-year-old girl. When he's on the screen, he's just so handsome, and he's so talented. And the fact that he is deaf, and dancing the way that he is, and so, and on beat, and on count, like, there have been so many times I have danced with, hearing people who cannot hear a beat and this man cannot hear anything and he is perfectly on beat and on cue and on step and i'm like oh it's it's so it's it's hot (laughs) it's hot and he's just he's so inspiring and wonderful and he and he's good he's really good and then selma blair in week one did this amazing dance and with her ms and hearing her story and like seeing as she was dancing like Something lock like her leg lock sometimes, and you could see it happen in the number, but she didn't let it stop her. She kept going, was so emotional, and like everyone's crying. And then she got like the third highest score of the week. That's what's bothering me about the show, and why I think it's bullshit is that the judges and the audience are on two separate pages all the time, and sometimes I don't think either of them are correct. Like everyone loved Selma Blair's dance week one, and the judges put her like not at the top they gave the top to like charlie d'amelio who's a pretty 18 year old girl who is also a trained dancer like ooh shocking and then and again it's i always it's it's always like a trained dancer does well like it's great you know jojo siwa is a dancer um it's or like it's an ice skater like a chrissy yamaguchi i think was in the top or one or something like jennifer gray from dirty dancing one so like it, it's that it's always a bachelorette who does well and like can we be Come on now, like let's do something more interesting. Like having a Daniel Durant versus a Selma Blair is a completely different top than having a Charlie D'Amelio versus a Gabby, whatever her name is from Bachelorette. Do you know what I'm saying? Like having some, and I think people watch the show for different things. Like I don't know. I want Shangela to win as the bottom line, and I think she should be. She should be winning, and she's just not. She's consistently below. Um, like Wayne Brady and Charlie D'Amelio and even Heidi D'Amelio, I think this week, her mother, which what a stupid idea that's been, uh, all to promote the fucking Hulu show, which is also owned by Disney, uh, that they have. I don't know. It's, it's still not a good show, but like watch it for Shangela. Basically it's on Mondays at eight o'clock live on uh, Disney plus and they do the voting at the end of the episode, which is very strange as well. Cause like you can only vote during the show. So like if you're a person, like if you want, if you're a kind of person who wants to wait until the end, like if you don't have a favorite, you want to wait and see how well everyone does. You want to wait to the last number. You literally have like two minutes to get your votes in. 
It's very strange. But again, Mondays at 8 o'clock on Disney Plus. Feel free to watch that. What? Oh, The Masked Singer. So The Masked Singer um, is dead to me. It truly... It's <laughs> This season, I complained a lot about last season and the season before. I'm going to continue complaining. They changed the format. It is... It's slightly more exciting because we're seeing more unmaskings, but it's also just completely sapped all the tension out of the show. And I think a lot of that is because the person who keeps winning is a very obvious voice. So for this season, the format is there are, I believe it's three or four. In the first episode, there were four. Now it's been three uh, people, masks, who are competing in each episode. And the audience votes at the end, and the person with the most votes, or the person with the least votes, sorry, the person with the least votes, or the mask with the least votes is automatically eliminated. Then the the next two do a sudden death face-off where they both sing the same song, and someone, or the audience decides which one they like better, and the one who wins moves on to the next week. So... And then the other person is unmasked. So we're getting at least two unmaskings every episode. And this seems fun because it's like, ooh, we're going to see a lot more people. But it's not because for two reasons. One is that people that I want to see more of who are like good singers and performers are getting eliminated because the person that keeps going through is just better. Or it's people that have no hope of ever doing more than one episode. So, like, in the first, here's what happened in episode one. There were four masks, Night, Hedgehog, Hummingbird, and Harp. Harp was the first one to go, and with one note out of her mouth, we knew who it was. It's skip ahead 10 seconds if you really don't know and don't want to be spoiled. It's Amber Riley from Glee, Mercedes from Glee. If you watched Glee, you know her voice. It is, it's instantly recognizable. And she has won every single episode up until this point. There have been three. And I believe she's also in... I think this might... So that was round one. So now she's going to the semifinals. And now we're going to get a whole new group of masks. So she won all the episodes. And everyone knows who it is. It's very obvious. So for her to continue to win every episode is a little annoying because we're not unmasking her, but we know who it is. So it's not that exciting. And then in the first episode, Hummingbird, Hedgehog, and Knight were also there. Knight was the first one eliminated and was terrible. It was William Shatner. Like, come on now. That was clearly a, hey, come on and do one episode. The man's like 90-something years old. Then Hedgehog was Eric Idle from Monty Python. Again, like, maybe in a regular season might have skated by to a second episode, but did not in this one. And like, okay, fine, get out of here. Then Hummingbird, I thought was really decent, but like clearly not as good as the harp uh, vocally, but very good. And I really wanted to see Hummingbird perform again. And it ended up being Chris Kirkpatrick from NSYNC, which like, I, the judges guess him all the time. I have been wanting, since Joey Fatone, I've been wondering where the other NSYNC members are on this show. Because JT, Justin Timberlake, is the only one, and Lance Bass, to a lesser extent, are the only ones who are still consistently in the public eye. So, like, Joey Fatone did the show already. Get Chris or JC on the show. JC, in particular, could, I feel like, win this show and, like, come back and release a solo album or some shit. 
And then we finally get Chris, and it's in this fucking format where he's eliminated in after one episode because they just changed the way they're doing things. That's that's annoying. And I wonder if the contestants knew about this or if I, I whatever. So Chris Kirkpatrick gets eliminated. Then the next episode is Jeff Dunham, who obviously was not going to do more than one episode. He gets eliminated. And then Panther Mask versus Harp, which again, Panther was good. And another season would have kept going. But because it was up against Amber Riley, Harp, oh, I'm sorry, spoiler, oops, whatever, you know who it is. Anyway, um, got eliminated. It was Montel Jordan of This Is How We Do It. Eliminated. It's annoying. So it's... Then we had the Brady Bunch. Mike, Luke, and Leanne, Barry Williams, Christopher Knight were on an episode all together. And, like, they were fun and, like, halfway decent. Who, like, maybe in a regular season, again, could have done one or two more episodes. But got eliminated alongside uh, Damon John from Shark Tank, who, no, was terrible. So, like, it's just been this thing of, like, there's been one okay person or relatively good person and a terrible person who was never going to advance. So it's annoying. It's annoying to have this keep happening. And the judges need to go. They need to switch it up. Like, I would love a complete overhaul of the judging panel. I would love a, like, a back-to-basics kind of, like, a smaller cast of people who are, you know, like, give one or two people who you're like, eh, you should not be here. You're not a singer. But then some other people who are really talented but aren't actually singers. Like, that was what was so wonderful about that first season is that we had amazing singers like Gladys Knight. But then we also had, like, the performance we were most captivated by was Monster, who ended up being T-Pain, who was not known to be a singer. He was mu- he was a musician, obviously. He was an artist, a rapper. But we didn't know he could sing. That's why that season was so good. You know, and then we had the, the red herrings and the, like, because we didn't know what the show was going to be, the people that couldn't sing, like, a Tory Spelling, you know, or Terry Bradshaw. And that was fine. But now it's like we're just bringing on these like has-beens or like I said last season, these awful, awful people like Kirstie Alley and fucking Rudy Giuliani. Just for like shock value, it's annoying. And this season, it's it's not redeeming itself. It really isn't. There's I want to say there's something like 20-something contestants. It's too fucking many. It's just, it's too many and it's it's annoying. It's an annoying show. And I don't even know if I'm going to finish this season. I really like there it was supposed to be on this week and was preempted by baseball. And I forgot until it's Sunday. Yesterday I was like, "Oh right, Mass Singer. I should go watch that while I'm catching up on TV." And it it didn't air. So like, I didn't even know. You know what I mean? Like, when you're when a show gets to the point where you don't remember that it hasn't aired, it's probably time if it aired, or you don't, you don't know if it aired or not, and you also, like, it's been three days and you forgot that you need to catch up on it, maybe time to, like, let that show go. And that might be the place that I'm at with The Mass Singer, and the majority of people are at, because the ratings are absolutely tanking this season. So, it's on Wednesdays at 8 still, and streaming next day on Hulu... If you would like to give the new format a shot, even though I just spoiled everything for you, but it's a new round starting this Wednesday. So like you won't know, none of us know who anyone is yet. So feel free, but it's bad. 
Like, and it's it's approaching train wreck level bad, I'm not going to lie, where it's like, I might keep watching just to see how terrible it can get. But it's not entertaining anymore. It's it's really, if you're going to watch it, watch it on a DVR or on Hulu where you can, like, fast forward through, like, half of it. It's just, it's not good. It's just not good. All right, finally, my actual addiction of the last week has been The Mole. On Netflix. I mentioned this in the last episode that I recorded myself before Andy came on for the secret Celebrity Draggers finale that it was coming up and it was renewed on Netflix for season six. If you do not know what The Mole is, it is a show that aired, I want to say in the late 90s and early 2000s, maybe just early 2000s, early 2000s, not late 90s. And it like came on the heels of Survivor as like one of these competition reality shows and it was originally hosted by anderson cooper back when he was just a journalist and not like one of the most famous you know people in america and it's basically a group of people compete doing challenges where if they if they complete them then they win money that goes into a pot and the last person standing on the show wins the pot and Throughout the challenges, like, you can lose money, you can gain money. If you complete some parts but not others, then you you lose or you make up or whatever. But then there also, there's also a mole who is meant to sabotage the show. Their job is to take money out of the pot and to distract and to make sure that challenges aren't completed and to add to, like, a general sense of paranoia amongst the cast. And it basically comes down to, like, a top three of the mole and two real contestants. And it's it's really... I, I only watched one season in the original five, and it was a celebrity season, which Kathy Griffin actually won. And I don't remember a whole... I, in the back of my mind, thought that the mole didn't automatically make it to the end... I thought that the mole could be voted out, and if they were, then someone else became the mole. But maybe I'm misremembering that. And, like, basically, the, the mole could win if the top two accuse each other of being the mole. So it's basically, think of it this way. It's the amazing race with subterfuge. <laughs> it's, this version in particular is wildly addictive. So the way Netflix was doing it is that it's three weeks long. In week one, they released five episodes. Week two, they released three episodes. And then this coming week, Friday, the... What is that going to be? The 19th? No. Friday, the 21st are the final two episodes. And I'm not going to lie, it gets a little more tedious the longer that it goes on. But those first few episodes, holy fuckballs, I flew through them. It's so entertaining. So the challenges are things like the first challenge, there's how many people are? 10, I think. 10 contestants, maybe 12, something like that. And they're dropped in the middle of the Australian jungle. And they have to find cargo boxes 
And one is underwater, one is on the ground, and one is in the trees. And they split up into three groups. And they get clues and maps to, like, find these things. They have to figure out how to get the boxes because there's money in it. And if they all bring their boxes back, there's I think there's $10,000 in each box. And if they get it all back to the cargo plane, they get all the ten, they get the $10,000 each. So $30,000 goes into the pot. And so, like, they split up and trying and, and, like, watching them try to read a map and then find the boxes and figure out how to get the boxes and, like, rappel up into a tree or, like, you know, it, it, it's very entertaining. And then immediately, once someone fucks up, like, in the first episode, Joy, one of the contestants, who is a commercial airline pilot, cannot read the map correctly and they end up nowhere near their box. So they lose their part of the challenge. They lose $10,000. So then everyone becomes suspicious of joy because, like, how are you a pilot who can't read a fucking map? So then, like, now the game is on. We think, oh, she is the reason we lost $10,000. Maybe she's the mole. Then there's someone else who, like, didn't read the whole clue. So, like, maybe he's the mole because what kind of dumb fuck doesn't read the whole clue? So immediately everyone becomes suspicious of everyone else. At the end of it, then... They, you take a quiz uh, and they ask you questions about who you think the mole is. And it's stuff that, like, they don't always know the answer to. Like, how many siblings does the mole have? And uh, and the final question is, who do you think the mole is? And you select someone. And then the person who has the least correct, they're the fewest correct answers on the quiz, goes home. So the mole is pretty much guaranteed to get to the end because they can answer all the questions about themselves correctly. Um and then someone, you know, again, goes home. But the way that Netflix is doing it is that no one goes home at the end of an episode. They leave you on a cliffhanger every episode. So you have to tune into the next one to find out who has gone home. So they just aired episode eight, and we're down to the final five. Well, four plus a mole. And we don't know who is going to make it. So like, they get you to tune in next week. And then again, once you start watching, you're just going to watch the whole thing through. So it's super intense and interesting and like part of the reason that i think it's both very entertaining but also its biggest fault is that there's no way for us to figure out who the mole is as an audience there just isn't like we are the way that the show is edited and created is that we are basically supposed to be suspicious of everyone like at some point every single person there has been a strong argument made for them being the mole Either they did something to sabotage the money in the pot, they did something that, like, cost the team money, or they've thrown uh, suspicion on someone else, and they're like, okay, well, yes, you made a good point, but also, wouldn't the mole be trying to make us think it was someone else? So, like, there's this whole element of, like, you can literally trust no one. And, you know, like, there was a point made in this, in a one episode, that Greg who I always thought was, who I thought was the mole from episode one, um, actually brought in the most money. But then you see the things that he's saying in his like interview portions, his like talking heads or confessionals, whatever you want to call it. And he seems very suspicious. And you see him like taking money out of the pot to get advantages for himself. So you really can, it's, there's no way for us to know who it is. I have my suspicion that the mole is still either Joy or Jacob. I think they're the most likely. But I think that's also probably going to mean that it's neither of them. <laughs> because the way the show, again, is edited is that they're only showing us things to make us think it's one of the two. Like, when they're taking the quiz and we see that someone who went home, 
said they thought the mole was Joy or Jacob. It's meant to make us think, okay, well then the mole's not Joy or Jacob. But then we find out that pretty much everyone is like taking the quiz in a way where they're like, I'm going to answer this question because I think it might be Joy. But then if I think it's one of the two, I'm going to answer this question as if it's Joy, this question as if it's Jacob, and hope that I answer enough more toward the real mole. So it's a it's a super interesting show because, again, there's no way for us to guess. There's no clues to the mole's identity. We're just, it, the whole thing is hearsay. And because we don't know who the mole is, we never know who is telling the truth and who's not. So it's just a really, really fun ride. The challenges are really cool. It looks really good. Like the show, it looks like expensive. It's fun the way that it's done. Like it's it's kind of like a board game in a lot of ways. Like like a board game come to life. And it's hosted by Alex Wagner, kind of following along in this lineage of journalists hosting it. It's it's hosted by Alex Wagner now, who's on MSNBC. And she's very good. And she just seems so uh, happy and excited to be there. And she's having a good time. Like there was one challenge where like people were quote unquote sitting on bombs. And if they didn't guess like who had the correct something or other that like the bomb would explode and they did guess so the bomb never went off and she literally she literally just said should we just blow the bomb up for fun and didn't wait for an answer and just exploded it so the people were just sitting there as a bomb went off in front of them and just like blew up a pile of money it was very funny um and it's it's a really kudos to whoever cast this show because I'm sure that they're all mostly like actors kind of because <laughs> you have to be to be on a show like this a regular person Regular people are terrible at lying to this extent. Um, so I think they're all like on some level acting, which is great. The fact that they could be so interesting and also lying and like covering up their lies and not lying poorly is so entertaining. It is such an entertaining show. Uh, the final two episodes, like I said, are coming out this coming Friday on October 21st. It's it's very much worth the watch. The episodes are relatively short. I think like the longest one is 50 minutes. And then the fewer people that are there, the shorter they get. Like these past three episodes, uh, six, seven, and eight, have only been about 40 minutes a piece. So they go by very quickly. And like I said, once you start watching, you will get sucked in. I was planning to watch this at some point. And like I started The Midnight Club, which I might talk about in another episode, and didn't love it. So I was like, oh, let me give this a shot. And I watched all five episodes in one sitting. Like, I paused it to cook dinner and eat dinner and then kept watching. And it's it's addictive. It really is addictive. And that's so great, I think, right now. Because that's what I'm looking for. I, I don't know if it's, like, the way that the release model has been for a lot of shows. If it's that a lot of shows are kind of shying away from the bingeable model. Like, I don't know. Netflix seems to be the only the only network that is continuing to release full seasons all at once. And they're not even doing that all the time. And when they do that, it makes you think, oh, I want to watch this whole series. And then I end up taking longer to watch some of them than if they had just released it <laughs> weekly. Um, like Dahmer, I still haven't watched any more of Dahmer. I don't find that bingeable. I, so e Devil in Ohio, I watched uh, whenever the hell that came out, August or September. But, like, it was seven episodes, and they were between, like, 30 and 45 minutes. And I think it took me, like, four or five days to watch, and it shouldn't have. Uh, 
But then something like this is exactly what I want in a bingeable TV show where it moves really quickly. It ends on cliffhangers where they want you to just keep going. And that, like, what what more could you ask for? It's, if you are a reality TV person, if you like Amazing Race or Big Brother, it's it's elements of Big Brother as well, which I could never get into, but, like, with the, the casting aspersions kind of thing is a little Big Brother. It's, so it's very much like Amazing Race where they're traveling around and completing these crazy challenges. It's like Survivor because people are, you know, it's also a mental game. It's Big Brother because of the shade and the... And the, the, yeah, I guess kind of like the subterfuge is, is a little bit Big Brother. And if you like any of those shows, put them all together, that's what the mole is. It's super interesting and it's very fun. And I highly recommend it. Uh, first eight episodes are streaming right now on Netflix. The finale, two, the two final episodes uh, are airing this coming Friday the 21st, and then the whole season will be available for you to binge at your leisure. Again, I highly recommend doing that. Okay, 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 okay. Let's wrap this up with my uh, recommendation for the week. Oh, let me give you the premieres first. I forgot that I'm still doing this. Okay. So on Monday, the second season of The Vow premieres on HBO and HBO Max. I have to finish the final episode of the first season. I loved, this is the Nexium cult show. And I think this season is going to be covering the trial of Keith. What's his name? So that's coming back on Monday. On Tuesday, Netflix releases season six of Somebody Feed Phil. On Wednesday, they're starting season three of Love is Blind. And also FX is releasing the first two episodes of American Horror Story. This season's theme is NYC. It's being kept very mum, very much under wraps. There is no official plot release. Some like people have been teasing that they saw filming over the summer and it's partially taking place in the 70s, perhaps. Um, but it's a lot of great cast members are returning. We have Zachary Quinto coming back, Billy Lord, uh, and a whole bunch of others. Patty Lapone is back, yay. And uh, the release model that they're doing is, I think, two episodes a week for five weeks. I think that's in my head. And they're going to be streaming next day on, on Hulu. That's Wednesday. On Thursday, oh, thank you. Inside Amy Schumer is finally back for a short season five. This season was ordered like literally five years ago or seven years ago. So it was something insane. It was so long ago. It was ordered when Amy Schumer had her big breakout year, which I forget if it was 15 or 17, but it was the year where she won the Emmy for Inside Amy Schumer. It was the year of train wreck. It was when she basically like went really big and she had the HBO special. Um, and they ordered season five of Inside Amy Schumer and then she got very busy and never could film it, but was still committed to it. And it was supposed to be on Comedy Central. Well, it's coming to Paramount Plus and it starts this Thursday. There's a teaser clip that's been released of like a fake uh, tourism ad for Colorado that's about abortion. That was very funny. I laughed out loud multiple times. I know Amy Schumer is a very divisive personality. I love her. I especially love this show. It is so whip smart and so good. And I'm so excited that it's back. Season five of Inside Amy Schumer is streaming Thursday on Paramount+. Plus. And Peacock on Thursday is releasing season two. I believe they're changing the release format and releasing the whole season all at once of One of Us is Lying, which I did not like much when I reviewed in the podcast last year, but I eventually finished and it was like, okay, that wasn't, like it got better for sure, but it's still not good. But it, you know, it's it's a Halloween thing. It's young adults. It's a psycho thriller, whatever you want to call it. it again, something that's ripe for binging around Halloween. 
On Friday, Acapulco returns to Apple TV Plus for season two. Uh, Amazon releases the first episode or two, I forget, of The Peripheral, which is a new sci-fi series starring Chloe Grace Moritz. You've probably seen ads for her all over the place. The Roku channel is debuting season three of Chrissy's Court, which started as a Quibi original, and that's Chrissy Teigen doing, like, Judge Judy stuff. Netflix is releasing the Zoe Saldana miniseries from scratch. And on Friday... Hallmark Channel's Countdown to Christmas officially returns, which means that next week also returns my weekly recommendation being which Countdown to Christmas movie you should be recording and watching and hunting down and finding. And sometimes it'll be ones I actually enjoy. Sometimes it'll be the most ridiculous movie of the week. I know it's super early, and even I'm kind of like, do we really need it to be the week before Halloween? Like, isn't the weekend of Halloween already a little bit meh for... But I, I, don't, I don't care. I have been so depressed <laughs> and like generally down in the like last month or so that it just, you can probably hear it in my voice. I'm smiling ear to ear about the return of fucking Countdown to Christmas. I absolutely cannot wait. I am ready for it. Okay. Oh, sorry, finales. Jersey Shore Family Vacation. I was just like, I was about to give my recommendation and I'm staring. I'm like, wait, I didn't say all this. Finales. <laughs> Jersey Shore Family Vacation, The Mole, and House of the Dragon season one are all finished uh, this week. Enjoy. Anyways, um, my recommendation for the week is an Amazon series that I finally finished. It came out in August and I finally finished the eighth episode this week. Again, like I said, what I thought was going to be bingeable and I never ended up binging it and it took me two and a half no, two months to finish, was A League of Their Own, the series adaptation of one of my all-time favorite movies, A League of Their Own on Amazon. If you go into this series thinking that it's just going to be the movie but longer, you are going to be very disappointed. That is not at all what A League of Their Own is. What this series is, which is done by Abby Jacobson, who I, I think was on Broad City, don't quote me on that. I never watched Broad City, but I'm pretty sure that's what she's from. What she wanted to do with this series, I'm assuming, I have, I don't, I, I'm not in her brain, was kind of right the wrongs of the movie. Not that the movie did something incorrect, but just that it was, it was made in the early 90s, you know? And it had a big Hollywood budget and a big Hollywood cast. And like, they really couldn't tell a whole lot of what would have been accurate stories for the time. Like, it was very much, you know, straight white women and that's the end of it. And that's okay. And it's a wonderful movie. But uh, like I said, it's one of my favorites, like I said, of all time. I pretty much know the whole movie by heart. But what actually would have been happening in the women's baseball league would have, there would have been queer women. There would have been butch, trans, masculine presenting women, whatever, you know, or women presenting or living as men or you know, gender fuck or gender queer or non-conforming or non-binary identities, even though they didn't have the language that we have now for it then. Um, there would have been women of color whose stories would have I, would have been purposefully excluded or who would have been excluded from the league itself. But nonetheless, like when we're talking about Rockford, that's, you know, that's Chicago-ish. It, it's not like black people did not exist <laughs> or Hispanic people did not exist at the time. So it really does center those stories. It especially centers queer stories, which I loved. And it also centers the story of, um, of women 
of black women. And the way that the series explores um, what, and I already can't remember the main character, Abby Jacobson's character, the way that it explores, Carter, I want to say maybe, the way that it explores her story of like, she's married to a man, but uh, her husband, like Dottie in the movie, is overseas at war and she's just, she's not, excited about him coming home so she runs away to join this women's baseball league and like her exploring her queerness with other women on the team is it's it's Carson not Carter is is very complex in a lot of ways and she starts this relationship with Greta who is Darcy Carden from uh, The Good Place who is also wonderful and she's kind of like the May the Madonna character of the show. And there are, uh, you know, like butch Mexican-American characters. And there is, um, oh my God, why am I blanking? Joe, who is Greta's best friend, who is very masculine. And there is a, a very Christian and homophobic character, which again will be accurate. And it's just the way that they incorporated all of these different levels to the women that they weren't all just like oh my god we're teammates we have to love each other is interesting and then there's also maxine who goes by max who is black and queer and she's hiding her sexuality she has a relative who has kind of been is the black sheep of the family has been disowned who uh lives their life as a man and is in a lesbian relationship but like is is a butch but like you know someone we would now consider probably a trans man and that whole storyline is very interesting and her trying to break into the the black league but then also into the um the way she tries out for the regular league it's just it's the way that it's i feel like i'm talking in circles because i i have so much that i i'm confusing myself basically that there are there are a lot of stories going on and for me, it was very relatable because it was so queer-focused and so minority-focused. But then I know that also is why it alienated so many people who wanted to watch the show and wanted just A League of Their Own, the movie, but over eight hours instead of, you know, two. And I understand that as well. Because if you think you're signing up for one thing and you get another, you can either be happy with what you got and excited for what you got that you didn't expect or just be disappointed that it's not the thing that you feel like you were promised. And in this case, it's both for me. Like, part of the reason it took me so long to get through it is that it's not what I initially wanted it to be. I wanted it to be, like, really snappy and funny and like the movie. And it wasn't that. But then I started to appreciate it more as it went on for what it actually was, which is, like, telling these forgotten niche sidelined stories of people who history, not just, like fiction or pop culture or film or television whatever have forgotten but also that history has forgotten it's very much kind of rewriting and retelling history and not that they're making anything up or anything like that but that they are writing the wrong of history hiding their stories or of the popular narrative of history not allowing for these stories to be told and Putting it in the context of baseball, 
allows for these stories to be told because baseball is the American pastime. It like it's like you know, it's not just white folk. It's not just Jackie Robinson. It's not just men. Baseball belongs to everyone. It is women's stories. It is queer stories. It is black stories. It is uh, Latina, Hispanic stories. Baseball belongs to to our entire culture. And there are stories from all of those cultures that can be told. And this is just telling one of those. We already told the story of the 1992 A League of Their Own movie. We don't need to tell that again. And the longer, again, the longer it went on, the more I could appreciate that. So A League of Their Own, the series, all eight episodes are currently streaming on Amazon Prime Video. That is my recommendation for this week and it's a perfect time because uh baseball season is coming to a close but also ramping up we're in the post season and like on a personal note i'm very excited because the phillies are in the national league championship series starting this week and it's been a long time coming for phillies fans so that's that so i'm excited for that Okay, thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Fake TV Critic. I will be back next week with more news recaps, analyses, uh, and recommendations. Have a good week, everyone.